You're listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with your host, Small Dojo Big Profits author, Mike Massey. Remember to go to martialartsbusinessdaily.com slash podcasts for show notes, transcripts, links to martial arts business resources, and more. Now here's your host, Mike Massey. Hello to everyone out there in the Martial Arts Business Nation and the Small Dojo Big Profits Tribe. This is Mike Massey coming at you once again with another edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. So for this episode of the podcast, I have a very special guest on. Uh, his name is Matt Page. Now, most of you know him as the, uh, the <laughs> creator of and the main character in the Enter the Dojo series. He plays uh, Master Ken. And uh, you guys, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, are all familiar with uh, Matt's work in that arena. But what a lot of people don't know is Matt is also a very dedicated, lifelong martial artist, and uh, you know, someone who's very dedicated to the martial arts in general. Uh, you know, he's basically a martial arts head, just like the rest of us. Which is, you know, interestingly enough, as you'll find out in this interview, um, kind of how uh, Enter the Dojo came about, and not quite in the way you might think. So uh, this interview, it's rather long. I'm not going to uh, spend a whole lot of time in the introduction because I think everybody pretty much knows um, about Master Ken and about Enter the Dojo, and, and uh, I, I think at least some of you know who Matt Page is. So um, we're going to get straight into the interview after a uh, brief commercial message, but uh, I think you're going to enjoy this interview a lot. I had a really a good time uh, interviewing Matt Page. Uh, he's a really funny guy. Very easy to talk to, very easy to interview, and uh, you know, I personally, I think this was a very entertaining interview. So hopefully, you'll enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's coming up right after this brief message. Hey, school owners and martial arts instructors, are you struggling to get new students? Are your classes emptier than a Milli Vanilli comeback concert? Do you need more students? Then maybe it's time to turbocharge your martial arts marketing. Stop struggling to get new students in the door and discover how to fill your school with a never-ending supply of ready-to-sign-on-the-dotted-line students all year long. Go to martialartsmarketingbook.com now to find out how. That's martialartsmarketingbook.com, home of another profit-building resource in the Small Dojo Big Profits family of products. Go to martialartsmarketingbook.com right now to find out more. All right. Hello, everyone out there in the martial arts business nation and the Small Dojo Big Profits tribe. This is Mike Massey coming at you with another edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. Now, today on the show, I have a very special interview guest. Uh, his name is Matt Page. And for those of you who don't know, Matt Page is a longtime martial artist, but he's also the creator of the independent web series, Enter the Dojo, on YouTube. So uh, to date, I mean, it's pretty interesting how popular the show has become, because when I was looking up stats uh, in preparation for the show, number one, uh, the show has over 150,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is pretty good. But when you look at the individual uh, video views, the actual views each video has, I found some videos from the end of the Dojo show that it had millions of views, literally millions of hits, which is just incredible. So in my opinion, it's probably the most shared martial arts video series on Facebook. And, uh, you know, from what I can tell, Enter the Dojo has definitely taken the martial arts industry by storm in the few short years that it's been around. So you guys probably know if you're on the newsletter list that I'm a fan of the show. I share the videos quite often, actually, on Fridays when I try to send out something that's a little bit more lighthearted. And, uh, you know, anyway, I'm pretty much a fan of anything and anyone who makes fun of the ridiculous crap that goes on in the martial arts industry. So um, naturally, I'm really excited to have Matt on the show. So, Matt, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. I know we've been talking about getting on the show for an interview for a while, and uh, I've had so many people contact me and, and say, hey, when are you going to interview Master Ken? You know, And we we'd kind of talked a little bit uh, before we started recording about how difficult it would be for Matt to do an entire interview <laughs> as Master Ken. That's, that's a, a pretty tall order, but um, I think uh, we might have something for you guys later in the show with the tip of the week, hopefully, so we'll see how that works out. <laughs> So, so Matt, um, starting off, I, I think everyone in the martial arts world, if they're online, pretty much knows who Master Ken is. But I don't think a lot of people know who you are, who Matt Page is. So I'd like to let you start just by introducing yourself. Tell us how you got involved in martial arts. And then also, it, tell us how you got involved in cinematography and acting as well. Sure. Well, uh, I, I was a, a fan of martial arts movies before I was a martial artist, uh, growing up watching a lot of movies. And... Um, I had a bit of a smart mouth when I was a kid and had a bit of an attitude problem and um, was uh, got into a couple of scuffles and, and uh, didn't do very well. Um, 
and uh, I told my mother I wanted to take boxing classes. And um, she said she couldn't find a boxing gym, even though there's like a really well-known one, uh, <laughs> like 20 or 30 minutes from our house. She said she could only find karate. But I think that she wanted me to take something that was perhaps um, – uh, I think she was worried about me getting punched in the head all the time, and I think she wanted uh, you know something that would be uh, perhaps a bit uh, character building in a different way. Not that boxing isn't great; it might have been fine, but she found a traditional um, karate do school. It was Pelletier's karate do, and um, he taught Okinawan kempo and kabuto, and that was my first um, first school. And I I was there for about three years uh, to get my black belt and. Um, and that was sort of the, the that set the foundation for me um, as a martial artist. And as far as cinematography and the filmmaking and acting and stuff, um, I bounced around for a little bit. I moved out to Cal- Southern California, had no money, had no education, no degree, no training, no connections, no nothing. And so after a couple of years of being broke out there, I decided to um, go back to school and um, ended up going to uh, a place called College of Santa Fe, which is now Santa Fe University and got my degree in film and, um, and really went there to learn filmmaking and acting as a, as a trade. Cause that was what I, cause I was delivering pizza and, and making my own little short movies once a year, but really had no idea how I was going to go from doing that to making a living at it. So I went and got my degree and pretty much within a year of graduating, um, was running, you know, a, a small company and, and have been, making videos and and doing acting gigs and kind of building my career ever since. You know, and I've noticed lately, because I've been following you on Facebook, and I noticed you've been posting a lot of, uh, I won't say a lot, but you've been posting several clips of, of different bit parts that you've gotten in in, uh, in uh, major motion pictures, right? Yeah, it's been a kind of, it's been a kind of great couple of years. The last two or three years, I've kind of managed to work my way into, uh, you know, getting, getting a few days here, a few days there um, on some bigger films. And it's been great. It's been great to work with, um, you know, I keep, Lucking out and being able to work with actors who I who I like, who I've seen on on big movies, and um, and uh, it's exciting. I got to be in a movie called The Scorch Trials, um, Maze Runner Two. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was really fun to work on, and um, did a, did a, a small movie um, had a scene with uh, Matthew Broderick and Alice Eve uh, as a Neil LeBute film. Um, and I've been following Neil LeBute forever. So I was really psyched to be in one of, one of his movies. Um, another movie called condemned part two, which was like a WWE straight to video action movie, kind of a thing. That was a lot of fun. Those are, those are fun, man. I, mean, I have to say, like, I love working on movies, but working on low budget action movies is some of the most fun stuff you do because you move really fast and you spend most of the day driving, fast cars and shooting guns like that's mostly what you're doing is like red like you know i mean it makes me feel like a kid again just like like you know playing playing cops and robbers or whatever um and so all that stuff is really really fun you know it's funny that you mentioned that because i was thinking as you were talking about how how you got into cinematography in the film industry and you went to film school first you know as a martial artist i would expect it, you know you would just go out there and just start making like like really bad kung fu movies right you know, that's usually how people get into it. Right. right absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, and I think that's sort of where I'm kind of divided in, in my interest in in the um, the martial arts world versus the film world, because I really love movies um, uh, of all genres. I love horror movies. I love classic uh, classic films. I, I love action. I love drama, comedy. So I really enjoy all types of film. And I actually had made a variety of different types of short films before enter the dojo. I made a bunch of short horror films. I made some short comedies that had nothing to do with martial arts and those, those did okay. You know, they went to some film festivals and, and uh, you know, we got a little attention once in a while, but nothing like the reaction of enter the dojo. Once, once we made the first episode of that and put it online, it was like, wow, people are, people are really watching this and they're really interested. And it was the first time that like my interests had, um, sort of becomes uh, cohesive in a way that people were really connecting with and really interested in. Now, I have to ask you because I was a, I was a fan of the Foot Fist way before I was a fan of, of Master Oh, Cam. yeah, yeah. 
do, do people compare your work a lot or do they kind of contrast it? Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And people, and people, you know, have arguments online about which is better, you know, like people like Rex Quando or, um, or the foot <laughs> or the foot fist way or whatever. Um, and some people like, like our show better. And, um, I, you know, I'm flattered to be, uh, compared to those guys. I mean, because those are, it's interesting that even though we are compared to those things, there's not a ton of examples. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's really not a lot of um, martial arts comedy acts that are, I guess, iconic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't mind the comparisons. I think, I think it's, um, I think it's good. And I'm kind of proud of the fact that um, I feel like in terms of the amount of content and the amount of development of this type of storyline, I feel like we've really taken it a lot further than anybody else has because the foot fist way, they just made it, you know, they made one movie and they never turned it into a show or a sequel or anything. And, um, uh, Rex Kondo was one scene in one really popular movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, I feel like we kind of, and that was sort of my goal was I thought, gosh, you know, I like these, but I, I feel like they didn't go far enough. You know, they're missing, mm-hmm. they could be edgier. They could be more slapsticky. They could follow the progression of a story of a character like this for much longer. And so that's, that was part of, uh, those were some of the references, you know, when I saw those early on, I was thinking, okay, I want to do this, but I want to do it my way. Yeah. And you know, it's funny too, because I really like the foot this way, but you know, Danny McBride is a hilarious guy, but you know, that movie really wasn't made by somebody who was a martial artist. Oh and so, yeah, for sure. And, and not only that, um, the humor is different because it's, um, it's, it's, it's darker in a way. Like I, I feel like we are, um, we're definitely edgy with the show, but we still want people to laugh. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like foot this way is way darker. Like the, the characters are really like not so redeemable. Like very few of them. So it's hard to <laughs> yeah. think of a character in that movie that has like redeeming factors. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. And so we try to, you know, there is an element of like, okay, we want people to laugh and we want to show how wacky these people are, but we still do want people to, uh, relate to them, uh, to cheer for them a little bit, to figure out which character they relate to the most. And, and, and so there's that, that difference. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny because, you know, some of my favorite uh, episodes from uh, enter the dojo, I think that it was probably, I think my favorite one was probably the dojo wars when it was like you and the Kung Fu guy kind of having your students spar, you know, it's so hilarious. Cause you, you know, as a, as a martial arts student, as a lifelong martial artist, you think, yeah, you know, that's something you could actually probably have. Oh, well, and it did. I mean, that, that, uh, that was, that was uh, very loosely based on something that happened. I was at a Kempo school and this other, this Kung Fu, I think that I can't remember if they were really Kung Fu or if they were something else, but I want to say they were Kung Fu. Anyway, they wanted to come over and, and, uh, have a friendly sparring match, you know, like, and it, and it, as you maybe can guess, it turned not so friendly very quickly and very, very competitive. And, um, and one of the, one of the things that I love about, uh, in fact, that the, the finale, the two part finale of season two, where they do the, where the, the school comes over and, and they have a little dojo battle is one of my favorite things that we've ever done. Because part of the point of doing that is that rather than another dojo coming over and being like Cobra Kai, where mm-hmm. they're all badasses, I wanted to show that other dojos have weirdos too. Like you tend to be, it's like, you you think that Ken has all the weirdos and then his rival brings his students over and they're kind of weirdos too. So it, it's, it's like every dojo has got their collection of kind of really odd characters. It's kind of the martial arts world in a nutshell. Isn't it, it really is. It attracts a You know, I mean, it attracts a, a variety of people, but there do seem to be some commonalities, don't there? Yeah, <laughs> I would say, you know, and that's what makes the show so funny, in my opinion, anyway, is that it reflects real life so well. I mean, you know, I know that uh, that, uh, you know, your uh, your friend and uh, your kind of partner in the show, Joe Conway, yeah. owns the Kempo studio and that that's where you guys film at. Yeah. And, and I would have to say, uh, being around uh, Kempo Karate guys, you know, they're all just a little bit off. Yeah, it's it's and, and part of what is so fun about that is that um, uh it really does feed content for the show, even if we don't mean to. Um, mm-hmm. And part of it is this kind of, um, quite honestly, a bit of a fascination or an obsession with the street. You know, yeah. like the like we're gonna we're teaching for the street, and and, and that's such a um, it's such a common phrase that um, 
people talk about in martial arts instruction and seems to lead to a free-for-all of um, eye gouging and groin stomping and throat ripping and, and all, and also a bit of a, you know, I, I mean, self-defense is important to teach seriously for people who really need it, of course, but there's a lot of, um, how do I say this? Declarative statements made about, uh, about the way the street is and in the street, this, this is what happens. And so I can't help but poke a little fun at it because like what, even if you're being really serious, it just comes out funny. Yeah. Well, it is, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's it's humorous. So many people in the martial arts world are humorous, without meaning to be humorous, because they end up becoming caricatures themselves. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny. You know, I mean, you walk into a martial arts school, and and I'm, you know they start talking about the street. And I'm like, okay, number one, you know, where is this nebulous street? Where can I find this place where I can, right. you know, where I can experience this for myself? You know, maybe I could film it. You know, and become like a you know a world star star or something. You know, but uh, but yeah, it, it it is kind of funny. Um, you, you talked in one interview that I read about how the uh, the groin sparring episode was actually a real thing that happened to you. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a real thing. Well, it's, it's funny because some of my Kempo friends, one of my one of my friends, he, he ran a school and he decided in his adult classes that he was just going to have everybody start kicking full contact to the groin as part of sparring because that was you know training for the street. So another friend of mine who was actually one of my former students. Ended up getting one of his students as a transfer, and this this girl kept kicking the instructor in the groin when they sparred full force. So he he comes to me, you know, like you know, kind of upset. And he's like, you know, gosh, Mike, he's like, I, I just don't know what to do. I keep telling her, you know, it's not acceptable at our school. What would you do? And I said, well, I'd probably kick her back. <laughs> you know, I mean, problem solved. But the whole just the ridiculousness of it, the the whole setup behind it, you know, the the sequence of events that had to happen to get this girl to the point. Where she thought it was okay to be kicking people full force in the groin in class. Yeah, you know how's that not funny? And, yeah, and it's uh, and there's certainly again, you know, there's certainly life and death scenarios that uh, that I feel like you know some martial arts training could maybe better uh, better prepare you for. But there are so many variables in uh, in violence in general that that it's funny that the harder you try to make it more street oriented or more quote realistic and take away rules or do theoretical moves that you can't really practice. Like you can't practice eye gouging. You just can't. Like, I, mean, I guess you could, like, if you really wanted to go to the trouble of, like, um, building a rubber head and putting in some eyeballs that were, I don't know, made of grapes or something, I guess you could actually practice, like, gouging someone's eyes out. But there are a lot of moves that, like, become theoretical in practice because you literally can't do them unless it's a life or death situation. Um, so it's, yeah, the whole thing is really funny to me. And, and I only poke fun at it because... I've been around it for a long time. I really love the martial arts world. I love the quirkiness of it. Um, but I, I do think that it just can't help but be funny. And there are people who tell me, who ask me year after year, when are you going to stop poking fun at us? And I tell them, when you stop giving me material. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the martial arts industry is rife with material. I, I have, a, and I'll tell anybody, I have a love-hate, love-hate relationship with the martial arts industry because – I love the martial arts. I love what they can do for people. You know, I got into it for probably the same reasons everybody does. You know, I was I was a scared, small, skinny kid that got picked on a lot. And, uh, you know, martial arts training transformed me. It transformed my life. But then on the other hand, there's just so much goofy stuff that goes on, you know. Oh, I mean, sure. It's just, oh, my gosh, you just shake your head. And I fully expect somebody now to come out with, like, a rubber head with eye sockets that you can insert grapes into. Right. Since you mentioned it, that's probably a product that's going to come out next oh, year. Oh, for sure. I mean, and it's something that we've joked about, you know, trying to create, uh, uh, you know, that type of stuff that Ken would just have in his dojo to try to make <laughs> – to try to make things, you know, I mean, and, and we, we, we have shied away from, uh, but there are videos online. We, we were joking about, ah, see, every time I think that we're going too far, I find a real life example of it. It's like the groin strikes, right? We joked about, well, we should tape some sort of fake groin to a, to a bob and have people literally destroying like fake groins. And then I thought, no, that's too much. And then if you look online, there's a video and I'm sure you've seen it. If you look for it, it's not hard to find of mm -hmm a women's self-defense instructional video from like the eighties that shot on like VHS and this guy holds out a cucumber. Oh yes. I have seen this. And the woman bites the cucumber in half. And it's like, <laughs> so we're not even like as wild as we think we're being. We're like, Oh man, somebody already did it, but with no sense of irony or humor, 
They were just like, no, yeah, well, we got to simulate a groin, so we'll just we'll carry cucumbers and have you bite them in half. <laughs> this is so wild, and we're not even the guys. And the crazy thing is, we would probably offend more people if we did it as a joke than when it's done done legitimately. Uh, which is another bit of irony with the show is like sometimes the, the we'll do something on the show and people will be like, that's too far. You guys have gone too far, and I'll go, but somebody else already did it in real life. And so why is it bad when we're making fun of it? Like if anything, it should be, it should be more harmless if we all know it's a joke, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And you know, the thing is, is, I mean, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, parody is kind of the mirror that everybody needs to kind of hold themselves up to that everybody needs to stare into, kind of look into, gaze into to see if, you know, how, you know, how silly or how real or how unself-aware you are, in whatever you do. And I think that goes doubly true for the martial arts industry. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there, uh, people that have said to me, man, I love, I love the show. I love master Ken, but it freaks me out. Cause I've said some of those things in class. They're like, I, I have said the things that master Ken says, and I have to stop and wait. like, wait, am I like master Ken? You know, but we're, but again, of course, we're just sampling from real life and just dialing it up to the ridiculous, you know? Yeah, guilty as charged. Um, Master Ken and the Foot Fist Way both. When I saw the Foot Fist Way, I mean, sometimes I could close my I could close my eyes and just listen to the to the dialogue and go, oh man, that was me like ten years ago. <laughs> it's just it's pretty sad, but it's true. So, well, let me ask you this because we talked about martial arts a little bit for the guys out there, you know, because because the majority of our listeners are hardcore martial artists. So, what is your background besides the Okinawan Karate and uh, Kempo? Um, what else have you trained in, or what else you train in now? Well, so I, yeah, my, my first style was the Okinawan Kempo and Kabuto, and then I bounced around for a while. Um, you know, I studied. I bet there was that school that taught only groin strikes, um, <laughs> which was just wild. Um, awesome. And um, I learned some, you know, dabbled in stick fighting, did, took some boxing classes, um, uh, some Aikido. I did Aikido for about a year, and I liked it. Um, uh yeah, I've, I've kind of dabbled in a lot of stuff. And then I finally settled in um, at uh, an American Kempo school on, in the Jeff Speakman lineage um, under uh, Erica and Tony Potter in Santa Fe. And uh, that was the second black belt that I got. And, um, yeah, since then I've kind of been uh, very casually training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I say that because I keep saying that I'm training, but I I have been to class very sparsely in the past year, especially because – the schedule is so my schedules are so outrageous, but um, uh, yeah, I've kind of I've kind of bounced around and done a lot of stuff, um, and that was also part of the creation of the idea of a Maradote was a guy who had studied a bunch of styles but maybe hadn't been certified in them and decided to just sort of take what he had learned from bouncing around and make his own martial art. <laughs> well, don't feel bad about the BJJ thing. I, I've been training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on and off since 97, and I'm still a white belt. So. Yeah, man, I like it, and I suck at it. I really like yeah, it. Yeah, me too. I, I like it, and I just don't think I'm particularly talented at it. And, uh, yeah. and um, you know, and I also um, – it seems like every time I'm really getting going on it, I get I pull my back or something or, or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's real life. It's the way real life martial arts really is. It's like I'm, I'm – I uh, I want to be uh, I want to live the life of like a badass action star, but but I've got but you know half the time I'm like oh, I got a bad back I don't know guys I don't know if I can train today, <laughs> which is not badass at all. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. You know, well, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, for the people who actually you know train that stuff constantly, well, I, I better stop before I get myself in trouble. But anyway, you know, you kind of have to be a little bit superhuman to be able to train that stuff hardcore all the time. Let's just let's just say sure, that. Sure, or so. getting or just being used to being injured all the time, which some guys, you know, are, with some friends of mine are. They're always they've always got to you know before they roll, they got to tape up their ankle and their right knee, and they got to they got to say, okay, just don't pull on my neck because I really messed it up yesterday. And 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 they're great martial artists, but they just kind of accept that they're going to be in pain all the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, and if you look at somebody who's done jujitsu or judo all their lives, look at their hands. I mean, oh my gosh, you talk about some mangled hands. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, and it is a testament to their passion for it that they, you know, they really want to live that lifestyle, and I, I greatly respect it. I greatly respect it. But, you know, just, just as I said, I have other interests, you know, um, uh, like film, uh, filmmaking and acting outside of the martial arts. I also do, you know, I run, I weight train, 
you know, I, I, I do other things that, um, that I sometimes become a bit more focused on. Um, uh, but one, you know, one of the mainstays that I have to say that I really like is I still really like, um, kata very, very much. I still feel like kata is a great way for me to feel like I'm, I have martial arts in my life, um, a way to, uh, provide focus for myself to maintain physical fitness and to, um, to do, you know, just to go out in the backyard and do, you know, some forms from my old Okinawan style or review some of my American Kempo forms and stuff. So I, I definitely, I value that stuff just as much as, uh, the self-defense and, and, and the rest of it. Yeah. Every once in a while I bust out like some Basadai and, you know, Takishodan and stuff like that from my Shodokan days, just for basically the same reason, you know, I, and honestly, you know, I think when I was doing kata every day, I was probably a lot more calm than I am now. You know, I, you know? I, part of the reason I've been doing it lately is because I'm pretty stressed out about my work and my schedule, and I'm like, okay, i got to cool it. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do all the naihanchi katas, and then, uh, then I'm going to go through the pinans and just sort of, like, calm my brain, get get the energy out, and then I'm going to come back and, and go back to the computer and do my thing. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I, I really, really do, so... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Now you're going to make me want to go out in the garage and do some kata. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, after the interview. Okay. So I got to ask you because I know you talked, you know, referred to, you know, Master Ken and how you got the idea for Master Ken into the dojo. But I've always wondered, is he is he derivative of a single person or a kind of a conglomerate of many different people? I would say he's a conglomerate. I would say that there are some people I've trained with um, that have more influence on Master Ken than others. Um, and you know, one of the funny things about it is that some of the things that have built up Master Ken, his sayings, his perspectives come from some very good martial artists. Um, again, it's just sort of taking reality and bending it a little bit. And I've told this story a couple of times on, on uh, with other other interviews, but a, a good friend of mine, um, Kevin Bankins, who's a, a jiu-jitsu instructor in Los Alamos, New Mexico, who I've trained with off and on over the years, a good friend of mine. He uh, he was actually on an episode of Master Ken's Privates as well. Um, he has some Muay Thai background, and um, he he said one time in class, he said, "If you're about to fight somebody, you got to get you a face. You know what I mean? Like a like a face that is so scary that that they don't even want to fight you. You got to get your fight face on. You know what I mean? You got to get this face." And then he showed me a face, and I was like, "That's actually kind of scary." Yeah, okay. But if he, if he, and so then I started thinking about, okay, what if like just your face was part of a technique like that's really funny. And so that's where the kill face came from. I started thinking like, okay, what if, what if just, what if Ken actually believed that just the look on his face was deadly, you know? (laughs) And and so, (laughs) so, you know, that that's an influence. And again, Kevin's a great martial artist. He's, he's a, he's a, a a really great teacher, a really great fighter. um, And I have a lot of respect for him, but he inadvertently contributed uh, to the sort of Frankensteining, uh, that that built up um, Master Ken, and so and so, yeah, it's definitely a mishmash of of instructors um, whom I really respect, and then maybe some other instructors that were a little whacked out that that uh, I just sort of trained, you know, took a few classes with them, and then said, okay, I'll see you later. And then in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to use what they said someday because they're crazy, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is still awesome, you know. I mean. Yeah, so, well, you know, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery, you know, who knows, so. Well, let me let me ask you this before I go too far down that road and get myself in trouble again. Uh, let me ask you about your friendship with Joe, um, who plays Todd Woodland on the show. Now, of course, as I mentioned before, you guys film at his dojo, but how did you guys meet? Did you meet through training in Kempo or some other way? Yeah, we met, um, uh, he's part of, uh, he, his school that he, that he runs down in uh, Albuquerque is part of the, uh, the Jeff Speakman uh, Kempo lineage. And he, uh, he had known and trained with uh, my, my previous instructors, um, uh, Tony and Erica Potter for many years. And um, I was training with them when I lived in Santa Fe, I moved down to Albuquerque and actually Joe and I really became um, buddies of, uh, uh, by kind of me going to him and pitching the show, he had just moved his school into that building. It was in a, a building around the corner that was smaller and he, he moved it into a bigger building. And I looked around, I said, man, I got, I just wrote this script for, for like a few episodes of this weird show I want to do. And he was <laughs> like, have at it, man. He's, he's like, he's like, I would, I would love for you to bring it in here. And so um, we just started filming in his school and um and Joe was so supportive of it and passionate and and interested in the show 
that um, he and I, you know, kind of became in a way became uh, a bigger part of the show together by doing um, those instructional videos that we release. Um, and part of that part of that also became uh, necessary as we found it harder and harder to do a season of the show because a season has like a 17 person crew and the, the, the cast members, when we did season one, the whole cast, like the other students, meaning like, you know, the the characters of Cynthia and Rachel and, and Billy, all of them lived in town. Now many of them have moved to Los Angeles. So it became harder and harder to film full on seasons of the show. So we had to come up with something else that we could keep the show going. Um, and that was one of the things we, we, we had. And since Joe was the only other cast member besides myself who had martial arts experience, it made a lot of sense for me to start doing demos with him because if I had to hit him, I could hit him. And he, <laughs> and he also knew how to move in a way because he is a martial artist himself. So that kind of, the show kind of developed in that, in that direction, uh, partially out of circumstance and necessity, and it's been great. Yeah, you know, in, <laughs> I, I like Todd. I like Todd on the show. I think he's funny, and I think those uh, those uh, videos that you do are hilarious. But I gotta say, man, Billy's like my favorite character on the show. I love the, Billy. just yeah. <laughs> the awkward situations that come up with Billy and <laughs> Cynthia and whatnot, man. I just you know, it leaves me rolling. He is he is the guy. So Ben Ziegler, who plays Billy, uh, he and I went to college together, and he was my roommate for a while. And um, he is the guy on set that makes me ruin takes because I just can't look him in the face when he starts making stuff up or when he starts playing his character. Like sometimes it's just that I will write lines for him and they made me laugh out loud when I was writing them, be just imagining the way that he would say them. And, and I can't look him in the face. And then other times he'll just improvise and he'll come up with some wild stuff. And I just cannot get through a take. I've, I have, I've had to, when, in fact, we, um, uh, we did a shoot with him at the end of the, at the end of last year, at the end of 2015. And there were takes where I had to just, they were filming over my shoulder at him. And I said, I'm not going to say my lines to you because I can't say them because I'm going to laugh. And I would, I would have to close my eyes and not say my lines and just, and I would just direct him and be like, just say your stuff and I'll edit it together. But I can't have a conversation with you because I'm dying. I cannot say it. I, I will, we'll be here all afternoon trying to keep me from laughing through your takes. I, he's, he makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, between the hair and like the kind of deadpan, you know, delivery of the line. Oh, his li- his delivery kills me. I find him so funny, and he's such a talented actor. And I really love I really love working with him. And and you know, and all the actors are really great. I mean, Alex Knight, who plays the uh, who plays Anthony, the oh, he's hilarious. Skeptical guy. orange belt, and and you know, and Rachel and uh, and Julia, who plays Cynthia, uh, Julie, who plays Cynthia. Um, you know, they're all great. They're all great. You know, and of course, Joe, who plays Todd. Like they've all become. Uh, you know, they're they're really great characters and I'm glad the fans like them. And, uh, you know, it, it's really it really is a blast. Um, I don't know how many more times we're going to be able to get everybody together because everybody's just, you know, moving around and moving on and doing their own things. But when we do manage to get together and film, it's such a blast. Well, you know, that's why uh, you need to do a Kickstarter to do a film. Yeah, right. You know, I, I have thought about that. We we did a couple of uh, we've done Indiegogo a couple of times and we raised some money. You know, we we never quite raise enough, but we raise some, you know, to help us at least get through the production of, of shooting and stuff. And, yeah, we've been talking about a movie for a while, but I think it's I think the the main thing has been figuring out what type of movie, you know, like are we doing um, are we going to do initially? It just made sense that we would do Enter the Dojo, the movie. Mm-hmm. But then we also started lately. We've been joking around because like '80s style movies, particularly '80s action style movies, are coming are becoming really trendy to do. Mm-hmm. And we've been thinking like, wouldn't it be kind of more fun if we put Ken in like an '80s action movie, like you know, <laughs> like just put him in that world, you know? Like, and, we, and the more we talk about it, the more we're like, well, maybe that would make a fun movie, you know? And we were really inspired by. Um, that movie that was a Kickstarter movie, uh, Kung Fury, 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was so great. I loved that film. And I love the fact that it was only 30 minutes long. Cause that's one of the main things that we've really struggled with is like, mm-hmm. gosh, you know, we want to make a film, but to make a feature length film, I mean, just to pay people and to get, get it together would cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. But, uh, but, but then when we saw that they made a 30 minute movie and people were cool with it, we were like, well, maybe we could make, I don't know, like a short version of a, of a movie like that. So, so yeah, we got some pretty fun plans that we'll see if we can pull off this year in, in that respect. Well, I don't know if you followed the, uh, the Kickstarter for, uh, Range 15, the movie that's coming out from the guys from Article 15 and Ranger Up, you know, their military kind of lifestyle clothing company. Oh, okay. Yeah, you should look into that because they did uh, some really interesting stuff with their Kickstarter, and they really got they got the military um, community behind them, which you know it's just kind of the way military guys are, you know. Um, but uh, you know, they raised a, just a crap ton of money, and they they got some really famous people in their movie. You should check it out yeah. because the movie itself is going to be awesome. But you know, I think that might be a good template for you guys to to do a movie. But also, I, I think putting Master Ken in kind of like a, you know, a, a Chuck Norris, you know, the octagon type. Oh, know, man. I just, agent, that would be awesome. I rewatched that uh, like uh, a couple of times last year. And, man, that was um, that was so funny. That's the one where he has the inner monologue, right? I, you know, I, I, I know it's the one where he's like a ninja. Exactly. He's being raised as a ninja. Right, right, yeah. right. Because he like there are scenes where he like there, uh, you know something bad happens and someone comes up to him and says, Oh, some people were killed and they say it was ninja. And then Chuck just like looks off into the distance and you hear his inner monologue going ninja. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> that. Now I got to watch it again. It's, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's, it's, it's either that one. I'm really almost positive that it's the octagon. And he has this hilarious inner monologue where he whispers to himself, while he's staring off into space. And there again, and the beauty of going back and watching those movies is the fact that so many of those things were done with total sincerity. And that if we were to just take that and put a, com- a comedic spin on it, I just think, oh man, the movie writes itself, you know? <laughs> take off, yeah. You know, one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, fourth grade, was The Master with Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was incidentally Demi Moore's, I think that was her, her first major acting role as well. Um, playing uh, Lee Van Cleef's daughter, but man, that was that was just the great. It's the same thing, you know. It's the same type of, you know. It's campy now, but back then, you know, it was super serious. It was super badass. Right, right. Yeah. So I got to ask you too. I mean, it's going to shift gears a little bit, but about people you've pissed off in hate mail or hate email. Like, how many people have you really like seriously pissed off in the martial arts world that that send you hate mail every week? You know, it's it goes in waves. Um, uh, we're about to start doing there. There are some videos that we did a lot more often. Um, they were just, we just referred to them as the bullshit videos where we would just do the top five reasons that a particular martial art was bullshit. And, Those were great. Oh, and I love them. And, and we kind of got out of the, we kind of got out of the habit of doing them just because uh, we very quickly ran out of the short list of martial arts that I um, had ex- direct experience with. Um, so I'm a lazy researcher. So I, I, so <laughs> once we ran out of the ones that I could just sit down and write some jokes about, I was like, oh, now I got to read and research and, and figure out how we're going to do bullshit ones. But I just, uh, I just finished writing, um, Muay Thai is bullshit. Cause I, I was actually, I'm going back through my old collection of martial arts books. I've got, um, the old Zoran Reebok book, uh, Thai boxing dynamite. Oh, that's old school. Man, that's I've had this forever, man. I'm like back when I was just started studying martial arts as a teenager, I would for Christmas I would just ask for martial arts books. That's all I wanted, and so I have this stack of all these old books, and I'm rereading them, going, "This stuff is great, man. This is this is really great stuff, and it also gives me really great ideas on how to poke fun." So, um, so we're doing a new series of of those, and I think those will probably bring in more hostility because. Because <laughs> when we when we directly, it's like everybody loves it when we make fun of martial arts until we make fun of theirs. Because, <laughs> yeah, well. because very much like Master Ken, everyone believes that everybody else's is bullshit and theirs is the good one. And then you go, then you go after theirs, and they're like, "Hey, well, come on now, you know, like be let's let's be respectful." 
know? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think probably the, the only martial art that you can make fun of where they just be like, yeah, that's cool. It would be Tenth Planet Jiu-Jitsu. Because, right. you know, <laughs> exactly. Together. Yeah, and the, you know that is another thing that I find about like uh, the the irony about um, about real fighters. You know, like, and I don't mean that. You know, I mean it's well, real. I've already said it. Real fighters, people who people who fight for a living, or people who really go out of their way to do combative arts, full you know, full force. Um, full contact type stuff all the time are the most humble people that we work with. Um, when we've had people come on uh, the show like Greg Jackson and Julie mm-hmm. Kedzie and Michelle Watterson and Keith Jardine, like people who are from that world, they are totally fine with us making fun of whatever we want because they have confidence in their ability and they have proven themselves um, time and time again, you know, yeah. And and so it's funny. They seem to be the least sensitive when it comes to it. And the most sensitive so far have been the ninja. <laughs> well, you know, it, surprise, surprise. They get they, so mad whenever we make fun of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, I could go on and on about that. But, you know, I kind of liken the guys who really fight like the guys who are real fighters. I, I, I Coming up, you know, I had the, the um, I guess you could say the uh, the luck or, or whatever to to get to train around some guys who are professional fighters, kickboxers and boxers and so forth. They're always really cool people once you get to know them. Uh, never had chips on their shoulder or anything. And I kind of liken those guys to, like, the guys in the special operations community in the military, you know. I mean, you you immediately know the difference after you've been around somebody who's been a SEAL or, you know, they've been, uh, you know, force recon or something like that in the military and somebody who's what they would call a chairborne ranger, yeah. you know. I mean, the difference is immediately apparent, and it's kind of that way in the martial arts industry, you know. Uh, when you've, and I tell people this all the time, especially when arguments come up about whether Bruce Lee could fight somebody who's like a professional fighter today. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's just ridiculous because, you know, if you've ever sparred somebody who was a professional fighter, you know that the difference between somebody who's never fought professionally and a professional is like night and day. Well, it's just like, you know. And it's, inter- you know, you can find there's an interview, um, there's an interview with Chuck Norris who uh, who is talking, you know, and he's always, whenever he talks about Bruce uh, Lee, he's very respectful, but somebody asks him that question. And this is an old interview. This is like, you know, um, this is back, you know, at, at uh, maybe not when, when Chuck Norris was a, was a, still a, a competing champion, but you know, it was when he was still, still, you know, in his prime. And someone said, do you think that, you know, they, they said, uh, did you ever spar with Bruce? You know, how do you think you would have done against him? And Chuck sort of, chuckles and he says uh well i was a professional fighter and that's all he <laughs> says he's just like i you know as as revered as bruce lee is and as as incredibly influential as he was even even chuck has to for a moment say well there's still a difference between being a professional full contact karate champion and and not and then being anything else you know so so those guys and again you know i think that's why those guys are the least sensitive because they have such incredible confidence in what they do yeah, and I I love Jeekendo. I'll just say that you know I I practiced Jeekendo and have trained it on and off for years and and stuff. But the mythology around Bruce Lee, I mean, you know, the bullshit runs pretty deep. Oh so. yeah, and it's and and it's and, you know it's it's sort of what happens when when anybody you know passes away young under unfortunate circumstances and and uh, they just they they become um, a legend. And it's great, you know, it's great that he's remembered and all that. I I, I chuckle the way that you say that because I have honestly. I finished reading the Thai boxing dynamite book last night and have my list of, of uh, things I'm going to poke fun at. And the very next one below it is Dao of Jeet Kune Do. That's I got my, I got my Bruce Lee book out and that is the next one on the hit list. My copy, my copy is literally falling apart. Oh, I've had it for so oh, long. I wish I could send you, a, I wish I could send you a picture of mine because it, it is exactly the same. Like the pages are, are all, uh, I don't know what I did to this. It seems like I left it out in the rain, you know, like it, it is so beat up, but I am going to be, uh, the, the, he's the one that's got the next, uh, the next, uh, one on the list for, for the bullshit videos. So it's going to be G Kundo and I'll move on to Capoeira. That's going to be awesome. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So let, let's talk for a minute. It, once again, shifting gears, but I wanted to talk about, and just to let our, our audience know, our listening audience know, I don't think a lot of people are aware of this about how you as an independent filmmaker make your living 
and uh, the problems you've had with freebooting. So a lot of people don't know what freebooting is, so I'd like for you to tell everyone, you know, kind of explain what it is and talk about how it hurts you as an independent filmmaker. Sure. You know, it's, um, there, was a, there was a time uh, last year where it was getting really out of control, and it's a little frustrating because when you make a product that is uh, essentially, for all intents and purposes, is already free, um, to remove our ability to profit from ad revenue – um, is is just it just seems so unnecessary and that's something that uh, that we struggled with for a bit. Um, it's not happening quite as often because we started really putting effort into searching for videos um, that had been stolen. But essentially, what freebooting is, is when someone downloads a video off of our YouTube channel and then they re-upload it either on YouTube or they re-upload it on Facebook in a way that um, the monetization process is eliminated because when we upload a video to YouTube, we get a share of the ad revenue. And that's something we help, uh, we use to help make more episodes for everybody. But when we make a video uploaded on YouTube and then somebody rips it and uploads it on Facebook on their personal profile and it gets, I mean, we've seen versions out there with 20 million views and we thought, oh man, if we had that many views on our YouTube channel, we could, you know, we could fund a whole nother season of the show, you know, just with the ad revenue. So a lot of people don't really think about it. And other people actually um, actively argue with us that everything should be free in every way, shape or form, and that it ultimately helps more people become aware of the show. I have a little, I take issue with that because when people rip our stuff and they post it to their own profiles, they're directing traffic toward themselves. Not, mm-hmm. not us. Uh, and, and particularly people have even taken or ripped our videos and put their own websites for their own products at the bottom of our content. So they're basically advertising it. their own products and their own websites. And we're like, man, you know, and, and the thing is when they do that and it gets 20 million views and they say, Hey, well, it benefits you, you know, it gets you exposure. I'm looking at the ad revenue on YouTube and I'm looking at the online store where we sell t-shirts and other products. And the revenue isn't going up. So I'm like, yeah. well, there's no direct benefit for us. You know, people are not spending more on our products. They're not able to help support us financially. So, so all we ask is that whenever anybody likes and comments and shares on anything that we do, just do it from our platforms. We have youtube.com slash enter the dojo show and master Ken's Facebook is facebook.com slash master American. And as long as it's shared directly from our platform. We're totally cool with that. Share the hell out of it. But it's when people download our stuff and upload it on their own platforms that they're kind of taking away from what we do. Yeah, not kind of. They really are, you know, and it's uh, you know, it's a little bit insulting. I've, I've dealt with some copyright issues myself over the years, you know, and it, it happens time and again. You know, everything from people, you know, taking articles and just, you know, posting them all over different websites to, to uh, taking an entire book. And, uh, you know, basically re- rewriting it in their own words and then selling it, you know, yeah. it's totally, you know, ripping off your material. In- incredibly derivative. It's just horrible. But, but yeah, it, it, it is, uh, you know, it, it, you know, basically it's taking, you know, what it, I guess it's really, it makes it harder for you to create more content. And when you're out there creating free content for people, you know, it, it is a bit insulting. Sure. And just again, because it's already free. Like it's already yeah. like, you know, most people, but now we're so desensitized. Like, well, you know, you click, click on a YouTube video and see that you have to wait five seconds before you skip the ad. And you're like, oh, God, four, yeah. three, two, finally, you know, like, like, yeah. Yeah. and yet those are the ads that support what we do. So, so yeah, that, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, we're still ultimately very, very glad that people watch the show. We love that, that people share the show. We love that people support it um, for the people who do. Um, and we just, you know, we, we encourage that very, very much. And, and, and the main thing is if people share it, if they like it, they comment, they subscribe, all that stuff helps. Yeah, definitely. So let me ask you this because we're coming up on time and I don't want to, you know, take up too much more of your time, but I have kind of a semi-serious question for you because as somebody who's, you know, you've been a lifelong martial artist, you've never run a dojo. I got to ask you a question because I think these questions are good to ask of people who are on the other side of, uh, of the whole dojo student thing from us as martial arts instructors. What do you think the number one thing is that school owners do that pisses off their students? Oh, wow. Hmm. What's the number one thing? Or anything, you know, I yeah. mean, something from your, from your experience, you know? 
Boy, that's a good question. I would say, um, boy, that's a good one. I'm trying to think. I, I mean, you know, I would say that I've, um, I feel like there's a variety of answers to that. You know, I feel like if you're going to run a school, I feel like you have to be consistent. You know, I feel like I, I've gone to schools with that, um, don't hold class very often or cancel classes regularly. I feel like that's a great way to, to, to lose people that they want to know that they're, that you're serious about it and committed. Um, I think that, um, I think the biggest, I, I really think one of the biggest struggles with, uh, with people who are martial arts instructors and school owners is, um, is having confidence in themselves, but also being, um, open-minded because of course they want to run their school and they want to be the ones, you know, I mean, they deserve to be in charge. They're paying the rent, they're taking the risk, um, and everything. But, uh, you know, I think that there is a, um, at times a superiority thing that is hard to, I'm trying to be so careful in how I say this. I feel like, you know, I understand. I feel like, I feel like there are, ironically, some martial arts, uh, instructors can be like the Cobra Kai guy. They can be bullies. And, yeah. and they don't even mean to. Ironically, they're, they're doing martial arts. They're trying to, you know, they're operating under the, the banner of trying to help people defend themselves, but they create an aggressive environment in such a way that, um, you know, puts people off or makes people feel a bit intimidated, you know, rather than inspired, rather than, than, uh, feeling like they can become the best version of themselves, um, that they are maybe, either in fear or intimidated or ridiculed in a way that maybe they're not looking for. And I, and I, that, yeah. that's something that I have to say, like from meeting a lot of, from traveling around, cause we do a, a show called master Ken live um, where we do a, a live version of, of Ameridote. And we've done this all over the world and we meet a lot of really successful school owners. And I have to say that the ones that are the most successful focus on a sense of community. You know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not a hundred percent focused on, well, we do the real shit. You know, we're, we're all about the street and we're badasses and we're this, a lot of those guys don't have a ton of students, you know, and they think that it's because they're so hardcore. Um, maybe, maybe that's the truth, but I find that the people who have the best schools or at least the most successful schools are focused on, you know, building good martial artists and building community. And I think that if you do things that are contrary to that, then you're going to have a hard time keeping your roster up. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny because the guy I had on the show not too long ago, this guy grew up with Tom Whitaker, and he's probably one of the most real martial artists you'll ever meet. I mean, the guy, you know, he spent years working as a doorman for one of the biggest clubs in St. Louis. You know, he's been shot at, been stabbed, you know, uh, been jumped. He was a professional fighter. You know, he's just just a real serious martial artist. He has a very successful school, you know, 300, 350 students or something. And the thing is, is that when you look at the stuff he posts online, on his Facebook page or his school, he's never talking about how great they're or anything like that. Always talking about his students and always making people feel welcome. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think just you pointing that out, you know, I mean, it's, it, you know, to me, you know, I, I agree completely, you know, when it's about the students and it's not really about the instructor, um, I think that that can only lead to success. Yeah. And I've been that skeptic. I'm saying that's something that I've learned over the years because I just used to think I was telling Joe and I've had this conversation a lot recently where I'd said, you know, I used to think that every martial arts school owner did it for the passion, that it was impossible to make a living at it, that it was impossible to have a big school because I never, I I never really knew any successful school owners Um, in terms of having a big roster and a really successful school. And now I've met a ton of them. And I've noticed the, 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 the things they all have in common. And it's been a real eye opener to be like, oh, wow, you know, you really can. You can have a great school and have a, a tight knit community and um, and have, you know, a mentality that really builds people up in a really positive way. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be something that is um, just intimidating, which doesn't mean it's not challenging. It just means you're not talking about the street all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the street quote. Unquote. The street. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool, man. Well, I'm not going to take too much more of your time, although I know that the listeners out there probably enjoyed this interview and the fact that <laughs> we've gone for almost an hour, which is awesome. Yeah. But, I hope uh, I'm not babbling too much. I, once we get on these subjects, man, I just, I love this stuff and I love to talk about it. So I get a little bit uh, scattered, but it's just because I, I find this stuff, this whole world of martial arts, really, uh, really fascinating. <laughs> I, I could trust me. I could talk about this stuff forever too. So anybody who anybody who knows me and has caught me over a few beers after seminar or something knows this. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity first to let people know 
what is the best way for our listeners to support your show and support the work that you do? Oh, well, you know, um, definitely subscribing to our show. You know, the more subscribers we get, the better. Um, you can go to youtube.com slash enter the dojo show and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash master American. And then we even have a donation uh, section on enter the dojo show.com. If you just go to our web, uh, our website at enter the dojo show.com and go to the store on there, there's just a little donation button. You know, if you, if you, don't want to buy a t-shirt or you've already bought the t-shirt, but you still want to support what we do. We have fans, you know, once in a while that just shoot us 20 bucks and just say, Hey, we just, we just love what you do and we just want to support it, you know? And, and, uh, and we greatly appreciate that. And it's little, you know, little gestures like that of people donating, subscribing, liking, commenting, sharing, promoting, um, you know, just be engaged with us. And, and that's the best way to support what we do. Yeah, and you know, guys, if he, if if we do see a Kickstarter for an Enter the Dojo movie or a, a Master Ken action movie, you know, I, I strongly encourage everybody to get behind it because you know this is this is the type of stuff. I mean, you guys know that you watch his videos and, and you watch those episodes. You know, it's I mean, you know, people are putting their heart and soul into their work. You know, we may as well support in the martial arts industry, right? So yeah, and, so and we love to do it. You know, and the only, and and we would do it. I would do it full time every day, all day, if uh, if I you know if I had I don't know if I if I lucked out and won the lottery or something, I would just keep doing the show. But I, but, but uh, we would love to do it more often. And the more support uh, people give us, the more often we can create content for everybody. Excellent. Now, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners before we uh, close out the interview? No, man, just uh, thank you for having me on the show and just uh, keep your eye out for more uh, great content. We're going to do a lot of great stuff this year. And uh, you know, just like uh, shoot us, uh, shoot us comments and messages and let us know what you think. Let us know uh, if there are fans listening, let us know, uh, that you heard this and that, that you have specific episodes you want to see, like shoot us ideas for stuff. We take requests sometimes and, and create videos out of that too. All right, cool. Can you do me one favor before we close up the interview? Sure. As Master Ken, can you say small dojo big profits is bullshit? Absolutely. You ready? Yeah. I'm Master Ken, and small dojo big profits is bullshit. <laughs> okay, man, that's incredible. Thanks so much, Matt, for being on the interview today, and uh, um, hopefully we'll have you back again soon in the future. Please do, please do. The Tip of the Week. It's time for our featured martial arts business Tip of the Week. For more great tips, be sure to visit martialartsbusinessdaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And while you're there, click on the Business Resources tab for links to all Mike's martial arts business books and courses. Now, here's your martial arts business tip of the week. All right, so for the tip of the week this week, I'm going to give you guys something that's a, a little more practical, but uh, perhaps a little less businessy, if you will. Um, I wanted to talk about what to do when somebody posts a negative comment on uh, on your posts or your ads on Facebook or or you know possibly even you know a video on YouTube. Although we all know that the the martial arts trolls on YouTube are rampant. I mean, may as well just turn off comments on your YouTube videos because uh, you know if you post anything on YouTube and you're not prepared to get uh, some smack, you know, for somebody to talk smack about it, then well, you either don't post on YouTube or turn off the comments. But anyway, we're talking specifically about about Facebook on your Facebook pages, your posts. Your post about your students or possibly an ad or a boosted post that you have on Facebook. Um, you know, every once in a while you'll have somebody jump on an ad or, uh, you know, a post and uh, they'll start commenting on there and, and basically trying to pick apart what you're doing. And many times it comes from a space where uh, or a place where they, they really don't understand the purpose or the intent of your program or what have you. Or perhaps, you know, they just disagree with you know, what you're doing, which is fine. You know, people are entitled to their opinion. However, um, when it crosses the line into what I will just simply term as assholery, uh, when they're just basically just being an ass, um, you know, that's the time when you really need to do something about it because, you know, basically, you know, they're, they're expressing their opinion and kind of venting their frustrations, their personal frustrations, whatever they may be and for whatever reason they may have them on your dime and on your time. And that's something you really don't need to allow. Now, you may think that, uh, you know, in the uh, spirit of, of uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, I don't know, internet equality, that you need to let everybody uh, comment and, and, and play around on your threads, but you really don't. 
I mean, it's up to you how you handle this. But in my opinion, once somebody crosses that line over from, uh, you know, just, you know, respectfully uh, posting a, a an alternative viewpoint or, uh, you know, a, you know, a comment, uh, you know, uh, maybe that is not necessarily derisive of that, but that's uh, critical of something that I'm that I'm doing. That's fine. But when they cross the line into, you know, simply, um, you know, engaging in character assassination, you know, that's when you really need to do something about it because it's simply, you know, not something you need to put up with. So what do you do? Well, the first thing is when uh, when somebody tries to engage you online, uh, you know, with some sort of criticism, uh, understand that people will say and do things on the Internet that they wouldn't do in real life. Uh, people use the anonymity or the assumed anonymity of the Internet um, in order to live out their fantasies uh, many times. And sometimes, you know, as we've seen, this ends up being people who claim to be something on the Internet that they're not, which those people get at it all the time. Um, but then also sometimes it's just that, you know, people are frustrated in their personal lives. You know, they're they're dissatisfied with however their lives are going. You know, maybe they don't have the job that they want or, you know, maybe they feel like, you know, in a martial arts world sense that other martial artists that are less skilled than they are are getting more attention online or, or whatever, you know, who cares, you know. Sometimes it's just a guy down the street that, you know, is only teaching 30 students because they don't understand basic business principles and marketing principles, and they're jealous because you have a successful school. And so they'll jump online and, and they'll say all kinds of negative things about you, you know, trying to, you know, basically trying to bring you down. So, so the thing is, the first thing that I recommend is that if somebody posts something that is, uh, you know, engaging in character assassination, you know, they're just, you know, basically trying to say that you're a fraud or something when you know the exact opposite to be true. You know, you're teaching good programs. You know, you're running a good school. You know, your your program quality is high, that uh, your rank requirements and uh, your standards for rank advancement are high uh, compared to other schools, you know, then, then just delete the comment, you know, absolutely, 100 uh, percent. No question about it. Just delete the comment. You know, if you're paying for that ad or, you know, you're building up your own internet presence, your own uh, social media presence. You, you don't have to allow people like that to, uh, to comment on your, on your post and your ads. Now, the second thing is, is that if you get the same person coming back over and over and over again to try to criticize what you do, just, you know, block that person completely. Um, once again, you don't need to engage those people. There's no need to engage them. Um, you know, simply block them, block them from your page. You don't need that kind of negativity on your page. Now, the third thing that you need to understand is that, on the conversely, on the other hand, um, you need to do a good job of presenting your school, your dojo, in the most positive light. And if you know that you're teaching good programs, you know that you're treating people well, uh, you know that you're not ripping people off, um, you know that uh, you're you're fair to people and that your clients are happy and uh, they're committed to your school for uh, for the reasons above, then then I suggest that you need to let the world know about it. You know, um, so how do we do that? Well, there are several things that you can do to help um, increase your school's presence and and kind of the positive chatter that's going on about your school online. Um, the first thing is is that you should be collecting and posting testimonials and uh, you should post them, I should say, you should be collecting them constantly and posting them on your website and on social media channels and you should do that on a regular basis. If you're not collecting client testimonials, I guarantee you that if you're doing a good job in your school, you're getting them, but if you're not collecting them, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You should collect those testimonials and you should share them with other people. You should also be encouraging your students to post positive reviews online. You know, if your students are happy with what you're doing, then encourage them to share that with other people and uh, show them where they can share it to the benefit of other people that may be looking for a good martial arts school in your area. Thirdly, you should be contacting your local press and you should be sending out press releases to encourage them to write about your students on a monthly basis. Now, I will tell you, um, I go into this a lot deeper in a report that is in the um, martial arts marketing success system, but I'll tell you in brief. Um, when you send out press releases, number one, the press release has to be newsworthy. Uh, number two, it needs to be focused on something other than you and how great your school is. If you just send out press releases to the local press every month and are just basically saying what a great school you have and and uh, you know singing your own praises, they're just going to toss them in the circular file every time they get them. But if you send out press releases that um, include newsworthy stories, either a tie-in to something that is in the national news or the international news um, that you can somehow tie um, happenings and, and events at your school too, or 
if it's a good human interest story about something that a student in your studio has done, those are, are stories that have a good hook, and that's um, you know something that the press might you know take uh, take notice of. Now, finally, you should be producing content, content that explains what your school does and why you teach quality programs. You should produce that content regularly, and you should be posting that to your blog and also sharing it on social media websites. Because the thing is, when you do these things, uh, doing you know all of the things I just suggested, it's going to take care of a great deal of the internet trolls out there because you know it's rare that somebody will troll a company that has a lot of public support behind it. If uh, if an internet troll sees that uh, you know that that uh, you know a company has a strong following, that they have uh, a lot of people saying good things about them, they're going to be more inclined to think, okay, well these guys are are good guys. I'm not going to troll them. Um, you know, there are, there are always going to be people out there that will troll your business. That's just, uh, you know, a, a way of life on the Internet, but or a fact of life on the Internet, I should say. But the thing is, is that uh, just by presenting a positive image and, and being proactive about that, you're going to take care of about 99% of that. Um, now, last thing I'm going to tell you, and this is something that I tell my clients, this is something that uh, we've been discussing in, uh, in the private Facebook group for mabizu.com, and... Uh, <laughs> What I'm going to tell you is, is that nothing that happens on social media websites is real life. Nothing that happens in social media is like a real life occurrence. You know, social media and especially Facebook, um, everything that happens there exists in a, a fantasy land. <laughs> I mean, honestly, um, if you're taking anything that happens on social media on Facebook seriously or, or uh, you know, inter interchange that people have on Facebook or, or what have you, if you're taking that stuff seriously, um, you know, once again, you're doing yourself a disservice because, you know, that stuff just simply doesn't matter. What matters, what really matters is what happens in real life. Now, that's not to say that your online reputation isn't important and that you shouldn't protect and guard and uh, and uh, try to, uh, uh, I guess you could say, build in a positive manner your online reputation. It's not to say I'm not saying that you shouldn't, okay? Because you should be doing all those things. You should be trying to protect your your um, online image and uh, you know building a positive online image and protecting your online reputation. But um, you know, don't get worked up just because some random person uh, from somewhere behind a keyboard, uh, you know, <laughs> made made some crazy comment on your website or they messaged you on Facebook and and they're they're trying to insinuate insinuate that you're a fraud or something. You know, I mean. People do weird things for weird reasons. It does not behoove you to try to figure out what those reasons are and why they're doing it. You know, just kind of, you know, take the advice of Jim Brown, who was, uh, you know, well known for saying that when people do crazy things that you shouldn't try to figure them out. You should just kind of say, wow, isn't that interesting? And then go on about your business because trying to figure out why people do crazy things is it, it's a losing proposition. Okay, so that's it for this edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. Now, if you have suggestions for someone you would like to have me interview on the podcast, feel free to visit our Facebook page and message me there. That page is facebook.com slash martialartsbusinessdaily. Do me a favor, throw us a like while you're there, follow the page, and uh, PM me. Let me know. Private message me on Facebook and let me know who you would like to hear me interview uh, on a future edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. I will be happy to entertain all your suggestions and hopefully we'll come up with some good people to uh, for me to interview this year in 2016 on the podcast. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will talk to you soon in a future edition of the podcast. You've been listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with Mike Massey. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this show, leave us a positive review while you're there. Thanks for your support. And tune in again next time for more great martial arts business tips and advice from martialartsbusinessdaily.com. <laughs>